0: Well, today I want to look at this word uh, growth, say the word growth, and uh, talk about what this word means for us as a church. It's, uh, we're not talking about numerical growth or uh, growth in programs or numbers or services or classes or anything like that. The growth that I want us to focus on this morning and reflect on is the kind that happens to us, both individually and as a church family and within us, that kind of personal growth in the faith. So this is a faith thing about growing in our knowledge and in our relationship with uh, with God. And so that's that might be a shock that we'll talk about that in church, uh, grow in our relationship with God. <laughs> so, okay, well, maybe not. Um, but uh, that's what we want to do. So for us, faith is that thing that you have, uh, at least this is how we think sometimes, faith is that thing that you have when there's no proof of something. It's a blindness kind of thing, like... Uh, well, I don't really know, so I'll take a leap of faith. You ever use that phrase? Like, I'm just going to jump for it. I'm just going to go for it. Step of faith. Um, that's, thank you. Over here in the left section, wide awake. Um, that's what we normally think about when we think about faith. It's this thing you have when there's not a proof of anything. It's a blindness uh, kind of thing. But within, when the writers of the Bible use the word, which is the Greek word pistis, you've got to be careful with that. Um, <laughs> pistis, say that just so I can feel alone here. There you go, good. That's the word the writers of the Bible use and they talk about the word faith. That's what it is. But they're talking about a trust in certain information. They're not talking about something that's blind. They're talking about a trust in certain information about something. And in the case of the writers of the New Testament, they're talking about, of course, Jesus. Faith in Jesus wasn't for them. It is, in a sense, for us because we're going on the stories and the testimonies of people. But for them, it was not... A blind jump into something that wasn't there, but it was a trust in the stories and the experiences and the things that they had witnessed as well. I've said this before, I think I said it on Easter Sunday this past year. The church really, technically, there should be no such thing as the church, except that some people in the first century had the courage and the wherewithal to say, I was there, I saw this thing, this resurrection. That's why the church is even around is that people had that experience, that story, and they told it and retold it, and here we are today. But when the writers of the Bible use the word faith, they're talking about a trust in the stories and the experiences in the, of those who had been with, uh, been with Jesus. And faith is what happens when there's, again, for, for these first Christians, faith is what happened when there was enough information to give something a try. Uh, they trust that it's true. So there is information there. Now, we do this. I know we say, well, faith is, you know, we don't live by faith, but we kind of do. It happens at every wedding, by the way, when one uh, half of the (laughs) the partnership says, I do. I don't know if you know they say that. I know that because I stand right there as I'm doing the weddings. But they say, I do to each other. And that's really just a step of faith, is it not? How do you even have proof of that's going to be true? You don't. It's really like, I'm just trusting that you're saying I do. Uh, maybe you're just nervous, maybe you feel like you have to say I do, but they say it and the marriage ends up being a lab for working out all those propositions. So we make steps of faith all the time. Today you'll leave, you'll put your key in the car, you'll turn it. Why? Why are you going to turn it? Thank you, Danica, the only one awake. (laughs) You're going to turn the key because you have faith that the car is going to turn on, but it's not a blind faith. It's based on the fact that it's turned on most of the time before uh, today. I say most because sometimes it does it, right? All right. So faith, for the writers of the New Testament, faith was not something in the dark, but it was something based on a story and an experience. Now for us, it is a little bit different uh, because we're down the line 2,000 years, and so we have to put faith in the stories of the stories of the stories of the people who were there. Another thing to think about is faith is something that when uh, it's talked about in the scriptures, it's, it's called upon to develop and to grow. It's called upon to expand. Uh, Paul says this in Philippians 2, 12. He says, continue to work out your salvation. Say that phrase, work out, to work out your salvation. I love that because you just think, well, I thought salvation was this once, this kind of once and for all thing. The word for salvation, by the way, is the word soteria. It's this wonderful word. But it doesn't just mean like, a saving from something, but it's actually a word that means to be made whole again, to be renewed, to be restored. There's a sense of fullness in the word, like to be saved is to be made full and whole again. And Paul seems to say in this short riff that in that faith, our faith is working that out. In faith, we continue to work out our wholeness and our fullness as humans, as God's children, as people who are followers of Christ. That there's a continual working it out of that kind of thing. And so when we talk about faith, about knowing God, most of us would say, most of us would say, we hope that our faith widens, that it deepens. Um, I, I can't imagine that most of us want to go to our grave and go, I did it, I dwindled my faith down to nothing. That was my goal. Um, it feels as though most of us would hope that our faith expands, that it widens, that it deepens, that it grows. Uh, but the question is, what does it mean to grow our faith? What does that even look like? M- what most of us imagine when we talk about the idea of growing a faith is it has to do with at least in part more information, more details, learning more of the story. Faith is essentially this thing that we build upon. It's like it's got in-store apps where we just sort of, we go to church for a while. We're like, I'm going to grab that thing and add it on to my faith. I'm going to do this. And uh, we just keep accumulating and, and we fill out the thing so that we can, you know, a year from now we can look down and say, that's where I was and here's where I am now, and so look how far I've come in my faith. But most of us who've been in the faith journey for a while know that faith has some expansions and some retractions, doesn't it? I mean, we wander in and we, we wander in and out. We have seasons of where we feel like we're deepening our trust in God, and then we have seasons where we feel like it's going away, but that's all part of the faith journey. And so, Essentially, we like to think of it as something that we just keep adding on to until we get a degree or something. Um, And this has to do simply with learning more parts of the story. Give me more parts of the story of Jesus. Tell me more about this part of the Bible. Just piling on more of the details about bits and pieces that make up uh, the story of faith. And that's true. Part of the faith experience is informative. It's learning the stories and the histories and the theologies. That's part of it. Certain faith-related things, uh, for me, they're just shiny objects that capture my attention. Like, ooh, I want to learn about that. If I see somebody that, if I see a link to a new book by a a great theologian, sure enough, I'll buy it, right? Because it's shiny. It's shiny. There's new information in there. And I can tell you there's not. There's hardly ever ever any new information in there. Um, (laughs) When my brother and I were simultaneously working on more degrees. Uh, I was getting frustrated with a class I was taking in Romans, and uh, the Romans is the book of the Bible, by the way, and uh, it's, a, it's a hairball of a book, too. Like, it's very uh, detailed. It's hard to read. I don't recommend reading it without supervision, but, um, <laughs> but I'm in this thing, and there's like all these books I've got piled up, and I, I'm just so mad, and I'm talking to him on the phone. I'm like, what new is there in Romans? Like there's nothing new in Romans, but they keep writing books about the book of Romans. And here I am just like digging through this book, all these books and all these articles and all these journals, and it just, it's frustrating. But, you know, it's, it's, it's what we do. We think, well, I've got to learn more stuff so that my faith is stronger and more filled out, so to speak. So certain faith-related things just capture our attention. And we see that here, and again, it's good. Like when we put on classes or things like that. Uh, we, see, we see that people are interested in that. We've done marriage one days where it's a room full of married people. Um, we've done financial seminars, classes, maybe one day things. Those are fantastic. We've done some aspect of Jesus's life where it's a class. Come learn about this part of his life. Uh, we've done books of the Bible. Uh, we didn't have a classroom anymore when we moved here. So we did like a summer through the gospel of Luke. Uh, online course, which I've, I've never led anything like that. So it was fun. It was interesting. We had a lot of people do that. Um, in the old building, I was thinking about this the other day. We used to do these things. Raise your hand if you remember this, if you were here. Uh, we used to do these things called lunch and learns after church. Does anybody remember that? A couple people? Yeah. A couple, four. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> wow. All right. So we're good. They were excellent. They were really fun. And we would, we would do lunch and we would have like a scholar stand up so it wasn't me but it was like somebody who knew things Jesus, Oh you didn't know that No Yeah <laughs> I mean can you imagine the difficulty of history like wait it's not zero yet And so you know there is no zero Yeah and Jesus was born like in year four or six, maybe eight. Just was that a picture? Somebody take a picture of that. <laughs> so. <laughs> so uh, anyway. And actually, let me stop and say this before we before I go on. But like. Uh, you'll actually see a survey in the Monday after tomorrow if you're on our email list, and it's a growth survey. And we just kind of want to hear the ways that you grow uh, so that we can help in some areas like that because we want to do more of these things. And uh, But I, I loved the Lunch and Learns, mainly for the lunch, but for the Learn too. It was fun. But part of the faith experience is informative. We need to accept that. We have to learn parts of the story. And there are images all throughout the Bible of people uh, getting the information of men and women and children sitting at the feet of Jesus, just learning and listening from him. Uh, the character of Mary in one of the Gospels, in one of the Gospel accounts, she's always, every single time that they mention her name, they mention that she's sitting at Jesus' feet. No matter the story, she's always at Jesus' feet. It's the posture and the language of a disciple. And so there's this constant gathering of the information learning, just listening and learning to him. One of the reasons that I made sure as a high school student that I made it to church on Wednesday nights. You remember Wednesday night church? That was fun. Uh, We had a blast at ours, but I loved sitting and listening to more information. Um, I was a believer, but limping in some respects, but I loved hearing more stories and asking more questions And those things are great. So interest level and fact-finding is definitely a key part of the faith experience. And when the writers of the New Testament talk about faith, a growing faith, that's what we want to focus on here for a few minutes, they don't uh, use a phrase like spiritual growth. I know we use that, and it's a fine phrase. But that phrase is never really used in the Bible. They talk more in terms of something expansive that's happening in our lives like a taking over and a filling out that happens that faith is ultimately about fullness say the word fullness when the writers in the new testament talk about faith they're talking more about fullness wholeness and so i want to close our morning i'm not done but i'm just using that as a transition i want to close our morning looking into this profound text ephesians 3 verses 14 through 21 um, Ephesians is a letter that uh, Paul wrote to a to several churches it's a, it's a circular if you want to use an old phrase but it's this letter that was passed around to churches in Ephesus and uh, Paul wrote this letter and in it there's just all these great teachings about what it means to be a follower of Christ but what we're reading in this section and this happens several times in the letter what we're reading in this section is actually a prayer of Paul so Paul would at times write his prayers in the letter so that they could see and hear and even read how he was praying for them, which I find extraordinary. And, um, and so let me read the whole prayer to you, and then, we'll, and then we'll put some stuff on the screen here and move through it uh, together, just look at a couple of parts. But this is a prayer prayed by Paul for these churches in Ephesus, and you can think of this as a prayer for us too. He writes, for this reason, or he prays, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And you know the last word, amen. Yeah, I love that verse 20, not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Some versions say all all we ask or imagine. This is typically the verse churches put out when they're trying to build a new building. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, We can do it, guys. Whatever you bring, you know, God can do more than we can imagine. But this is not really attached to something like that. This is attached to what God can do within us. And so uh, we'll back up and look at a few things. Look at verse 16. I just want to hit three parts here. Verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So inside of Paul's prayerful tone and words, there's this very specific request uh, made to God on our behalf, which is that we would allow God's Spirit to work in us. Now, I know that's spooky and mysterious and weird, but that's the Spirit. We don't really have control over that, but there's this prayer made on our behalf by Paul that we might allow the Spirit of God to work within us. What does that mean? Well, whenever the Spirit is talked about in the New Testament, it, it's so much, it has so much to do with transformation, that there's this leading <clears throat> in our lives into a different shape of living. This is about becoming different people, that our faith is opening a way for change and that our lives are being reshaped. You can sort of see it this way, like we're not the same as we were. We're still, in essence, the same people, but we change. We're not the same. Something is happening at the core of who we are. And so faith, before we move to the next part, faith here in this prayer is defined as something that is right on the front end of change. That we're changing, that we're developing, that we're reshaping into new people. And then in the next part, in verse 17, the next part of the prayer, Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Uh, He uses the word heart there. Uh, The word heart is the word cardia. You probably didn't guess that, did you? Cardio, right? In the ancient world, the heart is not a word to describe the actual heart. I mean, it is to describe the actual heart, but it's not to describe, when we're talking about faith things, it's not this thing inside your chest. And it's not just also your feelings. Play that thing with all your heart, you know, whatever that means. Uh, Run with all your heart, that's true. But but not too much of your heart, because then it's over. All right. But they're talking about what all the ancients at this time believed to be the seat of someone's passions, to be the whole person. Uh, It's just kind of the core of a person. It's it's essentially you're working the core. That's what this is. And what Paul prays is that Christ dwells in our hearts. That doesn't mean, again, that we think about Him a lot, that He's in our feelings and that we love Him and that we've asked Him to live in our hearts uh, and all of that. It's not that. It's that it's you can sort of picture your life as a neighborhood and Christ is moving into your neighborhood. And he's taking over every house. It's like, it, I know this is a negative word, but he's gentrifying. <laughs> he's gentrifying your life. And that means it's frustrating. No, you can't move into here. You can stay over there, but you cannot move into this part. And so Paul's like, I know this is hard, but like, God needs to take up residence in the core of who you are. And that he expands all throughout your life. Verses 18 and 19 continue, uh, and love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints and the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the what fullness of God. Now I know Paul was a humble man at times. But he had to step back and go, now that's a good phrase. <laughs> that you be filled with all the fullness of God. But it starts there with, and to know that the love of, or, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What does this mean? Well, Paul talks about this a lot in his letters, but also in his prayer here. It's not just about knowing things about Jesus. It's not just about knowing things about church life. Or about the Bible as a whole. It's about loving Christ. The love of Christ is what fills us. It's um, <laughs> I remember like talking to uh, people much smarter than me, whether they're professors or writers, and like I think I have this cool idea, and I present it to them and go, "Have you ever thought about this? The story of Jacob. Have you thought about this?" They're always so kind, just like. <laughs> And they show me the volume they wrote on it or whatever. <laughs> but uh, but there's, there's this wonderful place that you see these brilliant people of faith get to where they're just like, you know what? I just don't need any more information. That's, that's where you want to get to. That the information is great and it's great to tilt your head and go, oh, that's so cool. I didn't see it that way before. But it does what, what must surpass our knowledge is the love of Christ that lives in us. You can also see this as... Um, the typical indictment on Christians, both in America and perhaps in other countries as well, but they know a lot of stuff and they're very religious, but the love of Christ does not reside in them. Uh, and so that's, that's another way of looking at this part of the prayer as well. That what's most important for Paul and in his prayer is that it's great if we learn things, but what we must learn most is the love of Christ. That the prayer is about, and this prayer is about being full of that, that Christ's love would fill our lives, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. A couple pictures here, a couple stories. This is my class that I teach on Monday nights. Uh, This is my tribe. Um, I made them pose because otherwise they're throwing throwing things at me. But uh, (laughs) no, they're working. They're taking a test actually. This is a couple weeks ago, but I teach a class on Monday nights. They're all freshmen. It's the first biblical studies class they take as college students, so it's kind of an eye-opening thing for them. And every year um, in the... Oh, that's a Dead Sea Scrolls um, fragment. You like that? They didn't like that. They were like, that's cool. Okay. Uh, But anyway, every year I go into this... Every semester I go in... This is what I think every semester. Oh, this is going to be so cool. This is going to be... I mean, we're going to learn things together, and we're going to move through the Bible together, and we're going to pray together. I'm going to end class every, every night with prayer. It's three hours, by the way. It's six to nine on Monday nights. Uh, sometimes I forget to give them a break. I can usually tell about 8.30 that I haven't given them a break, um, but I'm always like, we're going to stand and pray together, and I'm going to get to know them, and we're just going to like, experience the story of God, and they're just going to love it and love it and love it, and about three weeks in, I'm just, I walk in, I'm just like, forget it, here's the information, next slide, next slide, next slide, next slide, because they're just kind of like, hey, can you just, can you just give us the what's going to be on the test? That's where they're at. Are you with me on that? Like, you think, like, you imagine, like, they're just, you're going to say something, that we are going to, oh, let's look at this thing, and let's look at this thing in Psalms, and you read it, and you look at them, and kind of like y'all, and you look at them into, and they're just like, is this going to be on the thing? Does this have to go on our paper? And can you go back to the last slide? I'm like, sure, I'll go back to the last slide. I'll go back to the last slide. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but it's my fault. It's my fault because I'm confusing the environments. I'm going in like it's going to be both. It's going to be this informative thing and they're going to expand in their knowledge and then they're going to grow in their faith. And maybe they do, but at the end of the day, it's within three weeks, they're just like, I can tell. They're just like, just let's just shoot through the outline and let's get out of here on time this is the they're just in the posture of getting the information will it change them i don't know it doesn't seem to be my problem or my calling or even in my job description i'm just supposed to teach them the information so that's what happens uh, this is a picture of this next one is a picture of my a uh, couple of my bookshelves at home that's my dog yoda you guys like the dog She is not for sale. She is free, if you guys want her. Uh, She is totally free. But uh, (laughs) so these are a couple of our bookshelves. And um, every time people come over, they're always like, we're always trying to get them. Let's eat. Let's do the thing. And if they're new timers, they're always looking on the shelves and whatever. Um, When my brother comes over, he's looking for books that are his, but none of them are his. Um, But every single one of those books that you see, they're all theology books. Some of them were bought in school, some of them were bought when I teach, some of them just bought through the years, but they're, every single one of them, both bookcases, those are just all theology books. There's history in there, there's theology in there, there's biblical studies in there, there's Greek stuff in there, there's Hebrew stuff in there. It's just really exciting stuff, you know. Um, I actually don't even really look at it. I do stack them by height, not by alphabet, so that's why they look that way. So they're all based on height. Um, because I don't have a life, but the, uh, but here's the thing. I'm actually trying to replace them all with records. You should see the record shelves we have as well. So one day, if you want to come shopping for a theology book, come on over. But here's the thing about the bookshelves. That's just information. And I was thinking about that when I was working on this message for us, is that I'm just surrounded by information as well. i walk by it every day, And that's just information. Now, whether that information transforms me is really my call. But I can just keep on buying more books, reading more things, adding more things to um, the arsenal of things that I know and things that I don't know. But it's just information. It doesn't matter, and this is what Paul's saying in his prayer, it doesn't matter at the end of the day If the love of Christ is not filling us entirely, we can keep listening to sermons, keep attending church services, we can keep buying books, we can keep trying the next thing, but if we don't see a marked change in that the love of Christ is growing in us, then it's just information. In the ancient sense, there's two stages to being a disciple. There's learning from, and then there's devoted to. Part of learning, parting of being disciples is learning. But the next stage of a disciple is being devoted to the thing that you're learning and the person that you're learning from. And in this case, it is Christ, His love, being the curriculum and the life, both the curriculum and the life that we're called to live. And if that's not growing, but our knowledge is This prayer is for us. And it's implying that the fullness of God is His love. And I like that because Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. That the fullness of God is in His love. And So how do you know your faith is growing? Uh, When you start noticing that the ways of Jesus... Are taking up more and more space, more residency in every home, on every street, in the neighborhood of your heart. And we often see growing our faith as an expansion of intellectual and spiritual territory, but the Bible sees it in reverse, that we are giving up more and more territory to the ways of Jesus in our lives, and we start seeing and noticing that expansion. And Paul says this in closing as well in Galatians 4, verses 18 and 19. I think I have it on the screen, but we'll close with this. It's always good to be made much for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is what? Formed in you. Listen to that phrase. Until Christ is formed in you in you. You, can th- you and I can think on that for a long time, that our lives begin to take on the shape of Jesus and that he is forming himself in us. So faith, yes, keep learning, keep asking, keep reading, but always monitor whether or not the love of Christ is expanding in our lives. Let me pray and then Jeff's going to come up and get us ready uh, for communion today. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for this prayer of your servant Paul that we can read and reflect on and be challenged by. And God, this is a season, this is a season in our own country where um, the whole idea of love surpassing anything is very difficult right now. But you're calling us and we have been prayed for as well that, that the love of your son Christ would overflow into our communities, into our neighborhoods, our workplaces in this church building uh, we pray that uh, as we grow in knowledge we grow even more in your love as we take the communion just now I, I ask that you um, give us a sense of peace with one another and um, with, with the world that you've got it under control that The state of the universe is that you are still there. And as we take the bread and the juice today, that we're reminded of how much you love us, how much in touch you are with us, that you sent your son in the flesh to to show the world who you are, what it means to be human, what it means to follow you. We love you and we thank you for these moments that we have together each Sunday. And it's in your name that we pray. And everyone said...